This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Sydney Sloan didn't fall into marketing accidentally. She always wanted to be in the field, and she has been finding success as a marketer ever since graduating from USC. Currently, Sydney is the CMO of Salesloft, a rapidly growing startup which is constantly changing and challenging itself to keep reaching new heights. One of the main ways she's helped that happen is by introducing marketing automation. She talks about that process, as well as why it's so important to focus on the customer journey, and much more on this episode. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we are at a very high story here in uh, in the WeWork in downtown, sunny, rainy San Francisco uh, at Salesloft. Sydney, how's it going? It's going great. I think we both survived the commute today, which was uh, more of a challenge than we expected. Cats and dogs living together. It was mass hysteria on the rail- railroads and railways here <laughs> with, uh, with heaps of rain. But we're going to be talking about all things Salesloft, your background, uh, and much more. So first, how did you get started in marketing in the first place? Wow. I, I actually went to school for the job I have, amazingly enough. So I went to USC, uh, University of Southern California, and I got an international business degree. And my last year, I was in the entrepreneur program, and I wrote a business plan called Evention, and I wanted to start an event planning company. And, uh, and, and I was already working on campus and volunteering with uh, different organizations, meeting professionals international. I was a student ambassador and it was what, it was my passion. And that's, that's how I got into, to marketing was through events. Uh, not how, not that I planned to end up in software, but I'm glad I did. So flash forward to today, what does it look like to be CMO sales off? It's a wild ride. Uh, I have to say being in, working in a lot of different sized companies over the years, for Salesloft, I, w- I was looking for, I want a fast paced, high growth startup. And when I started a year and a half ago, uh, we were about 180 employees. We're almost 500 now and we're doubling the company year on year and no two days are the same and the challenges get bigger and bigger. And so we, it's not about incremental improvements. It's constantly challenging ourselves to be thinking outside the box and aspirational and looking for new ways. Um, we just have such incredible growth to continue to sustain that, that we have to challenge ourselves in new and different ways every day. So as a head of marketing, partnering with the sales leaders, um, being methodical, uh, being business driven, analytical, but also being a little bit radical. Yeah. And we'll get into a bunch of what you're doing at sales off specifically, because it is uh, a company that is on such an awesome trajectory. So I want to get into that. But but before we do that, so you've, this isn't your first foray as a CMO. Um, were there any things that you went into this, like with a different mindset this time around, or, uh, you know, going into a, a high growth startup that you kind of wanted to make sure to like, you know, tweak the playbook or maybe not use a playbook or anything like that? Yeah, I, it was not use the playbook. Because when I started, 
at my last company, we were $100 million. We were global. Um, we did do a complete change in terms of the go-to-market from a developer-centric open source model to a C-level um, um, uh, vertical go-to-market. So we, we definitely were radical. When I got to Salesoft, we were growing quickly already. And so it wasn't like I could come in with a playbook of an enterprise company and apply it to a fast growth startup that was selling to SaaS tech. And so I, I took a lot of time to observe what was working in the business and not wanting to change anything and being open-minded. Um, and I think the thing that I first realized that I thought was crazy, and I can uh, talk about it more deeply if you want, was we didn't use marketing automation. We were sales loft and we believe that the outbound approach was the way to capture customers. And so we were a hundred percent target account based using sales loft and not using any marketing automation at all. And we were, we were growing at the rate we needed to, um, but that wasn't something that was sustained. So I can double click on that if you'd like to. Yeah, no, I would love to, because that's something that I think you know, we hear a lot from CMOs where they have kind of these, um, you know, they get hired for like a period or a gate or a, especially in startup world for like a round or something like that. And that they like that sort of thing. Like I love to come in, you know, after the series C, because I want to, you know, get ready for IPO or, or whatever it is. Um, but a lot of times you do fall into this, uh, you know, this is how things are done now. It got us to here, but it's definitely not going to get us, you know, it got us from A to B, but not from B to C. Um, yeah. How'd you approach that? And specifically, you know, why, why marketing automation too? Yeah. I think that we, being sales loft, we were a sales led company and, um, and we were innovating so quickly on product in a very competitive marketplace. It was definitely a feature war. I'm sure a lot of companies experienced that in the early days. And so coming in and having a strong background in marketing, I, you know, we're able to look at, you know, taking a timeout, helping the company align around a unified go-to-market, which at, you know, when you pass 50 million, you need to start thinking differently, right? What got you there won't get you forward. And so aligning being the champion of aligning the company around a go-to-market and Rob Foreman, our president, was is is our head of, of strategy and, and working with him on setting us up for our growth on a defined go-to-market, which three growth levers is what we had. And that's kind of taken out all the great ideas and a lot of the noise that I think a lot of marketer, marketing leaders have to deal with. So I joke that I don't have to whack-a-mole anymore, all the ideas, because as a company, we know where we're going and everybody in the company can align what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis to the growth goals that we have. And even more importantly, and I think as you grow as a company to the scale we're at, all 500 employees can tell you what those five growth levers are. And that's incredible. And I've been in a lot of different companies where that's very hard to do. So I'm very proud of, of that accomplishment so far. Um, that was a little bit of a playbook. I've definitely done that before. I don't know how as a marketing leader you can be able to be successful if you if you don't have alignment and you don't know what the go-to-market strategy is. Um, so, you know, that that what what our corporate charter looks like might might look similar to ones I've had in the past. Um, but uh uh you know, that, that focus, that alignment, um, and the connection of employees to the growth initiatives has really allowed us to have a longer term view, a multi-quarter view, um, and, um, 
and less distractions. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I don't know how much you can share about about those five things, but uh, I think that that's something that I'm sure a lot of our listeners are trying to figure out, like especially aligning the entire company around around growth and those different growth levers is super critical. I mean, and you don't hear you don't hear those successes a lot. You know, we haven't heard a ton of those on the show necessarily. A lot of times you hear you know, hey, sales marketing are aligned, but like products, maybe not, mm. or, you know, or, you know, product and marketing are actually really aligned because we have this, you know, you know, uh, you know, flywheel going on, but then sales is like a little outside in or something like that. I'm curious, like if you can share those levers, sure. what that looks uh, like. There's two that are foundational and then there's three that are growth. The foundational is first about, um, creating our, our culture and making it the best place to work for our people. So, and that is our philosophy. We do believe in it. Our employees are the ones that build a great product, deliver the wonderful experiences and guide our customers to their success. And we are very committed to culture. It's a, if, if you, um, we, we have like a culture interview. And so you have, if, you know, if you don't pass through the culture interview like that, you, you, don't get hired. Um, and those interviews are done by people on our, our culture committee, but it's not just that it's the investment that we're making. So when we think about that particular area, it's the investment that we're making in developing our leaders, training, um, ensuring that, uh, we have the diversity inclusion that's required, um, to make sure that everybody feels like they have a place and a role and it's a, a place where they can foster and grow. And when you are hiring people at the rate that we're hiring them, um, I think the last check, check I had, we were average age 27. So younger in their career, making sure that we are developing the next generation of leaders is super important. So culture and our employee um, health is number one. Number two is delighting users. This is all about the product experience. And so making sure that we are putting our customers and our users absolutely first and doing the necessary work, not only to build great product and industry leading product, but to make sure the customers that we do have are enjoying that. So the measure of that is, is our net promoter score by our different user types. Um, but that is also making sure that we're making continuous investments on user experience. The th other three growth areas are around uh, our, our growth initiatives. Wait, so yeah. sorry. And yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So those first two are like kind of company bedrock. Internal. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. And that's everybody on those two things. And then these other three are these things that can like change over time. Um, yeah, that's really you, cool. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the other three are, these are our focus areas for growth. And uh, we've shared this openly before, and I think they wouldn't necessarily seem revolutionary, but the fact that, you know, we are focusing on those three and not other ones is important. And it's, it's the execution around the initiative, not necessarily, you know, it's picking the initiative, but how we execute around it. So, um, the next three are commanding up market and that's our growth into the enterprise and what we need to do in order to be successful there in terms of the teams, the product, the way that we market, uh, the way that we serve larger customers, cause it's different than serving the small customers that we built our business on the next one. So number four is deliver full cycle. And this is moving from just the development of pipeline by a lot of the SDR reps, which is where the company started and the sales engagement category started and moving that through the entire revenue life cycle. So also looking at how sales reps manage deals and manage their opportunities um, to close and then how companies 
continue to engage customers through their customer success organization. So that's delivering the full cycle, meaning the the solutions for the full revenue cycle. The last one is own international. We want to be first as we expand into new markets and bring sales engagement to Europe and other regions around the world. So how do you look at those customer centric journeys? Because it seems like there's a pretty clear journey there. If you're focusing, you know, on that, that kind of customer life cycle, I'm curious, like, what does that look like? In terms of our product or in terms of the way that we serve our customers? Yeah. In terms of the way that you serve your customers. Yeah. So that was one of the first things that I did uh, when I got there was to uh, identify our customer journey. And I think those of us that have been around for a while know that it's, you know, as a marketer, you have the unique opportunity to be able to be the steward of the customer experience across all the different touch points and that you want to align your company and your services to the customer experience, not the other way around. Uh, if a great way to test that is if you go to the company's website and all of a sudden you're you're searching for the maybe the product area that you're resp- that you're looking for, or you can see I'm in the services area versus I'm in the market marketing air, area, and and how do you design the customer experience? So that doesn't, isn't the case that the site knows who you are and are you a customer or not? You might get a different experience for that. Um, Translating that to uh, making sure that our company understood what the journey is that our customers go through and to look at for opportunities to create delightful experiences. Um, So, and that could be as easy as connecting the experience from closed one to the onboarding, right? You just look at that and say, I don't want to be handed off, right? Um, yeah, I, I totally. just had this great experience with your sales rep, but now I'm talking to somebody else. No, totally. So um, so that could be an area that we'd focus on first, which we have. And the sales rep is now staying involved more in the process till go live. And the, the handoff is a very thoughtful one where um, the customer is welcomed and and we send for strategic accounts, we'll, we'll send them a, you know, we'll send them a, a go live gift. Um, well, our whole product, our whole product teams will show up at some of our strategic accounts um, for their go live dates, including product management, the sales rep or customer success team. Um, so we really do want to celebrate with our customers um, as they go through their different stages. Do you market throughout the journey? Like, are you marketing like post-sale and all that sort of stuff. You know, on the show, we talk a lot about how marketing is always like, you know, 80% of the spend is is pre-sale and then only like, you know, 20% here or there, but, uh, you know, afterwards. But it kind of seems like companies that have, you know, been really successful are, you know, marketing customer success, marketing, um, you know, onboarding, like marketing process, not just, you know, features. Yeah. You're, you're touching on one of my favorite areas. Um, so, Oh, gosh, eight, nine years ago, I started at a company, um, it was Jive Software, and uh, was the first customer, even at Adobe, I created the customer marketing function. Um, and and so this is an area, especially for SaaS companies, that changed the way that marketing could impact the customer. And so we know as SaaS companies, it's a lot easier for customers to switch from platform to platform. So the, the experience that you deliver to your customer is as important post closed one as it was to acquire them. I think as we look specifically at SalesLoft, because it's about a seed and expand for many of our customers. And so that ongoing upsell. And as I talked about our desire to work with companies on the full cycle, 
then wherever it is that you land, most of the times it's in sales development because that's where this category is known to be most impactful. But then those sales development reps become sales reps and they take sales loft with them. And then people are looking around, well, why, why is that guy so successful or a girl so successful? Well, they're using sales loft and then the entire uh, account team joins onto sales loft. So absolutely staying involved, making sure that they're successful, marketing to them, doing local events, training. Uh, we call it the circles of success. So we partner with our customer success team on the events that they're doing locally and online. And, and you know, continuing to uh, build out that relationship. But we support, I would say from a directional perspective, 80% of what we do is working with sales on net new business. 20% is working with customer success on land and expand. I love the idea that like the customer success function is like every day, just trying to figure out an incremental way to just like make the account a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And I love the idea of that marketing gets reports on that and then figures out the best thing to turn into copy, to turn into, uh, you know, potential ad campaigns to turn into that. Because like those incremental kind of growth things are what surprise and delight customers. Like that's what makes them happy, you know? And if you're always trying to figure out new ways to make them happy, like you should be marketing those things, right? Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things in an area that we're exposing right now are the peer review sites. So like the G2 crowd or trust radius. And I mean, gosh, talk about testimonials. I've got 1500 reviews of customers saying for the majority, we're like 4.4, like that they, why they love our product. And so we not only read all the reviews and respond to the ones that may not be favorable. A lot of times it's education, like that people don't realize that, um, you know, the product does what it does or, or, um, and so we use that as an opportunity to re-engage. Uh, but on the positive side, being a six-time leader, basically since the category was created by G2, we've been in the lead and I've got a billboard on the 101 now that shows it. Um, cause we're very proud of that because we get to serve our customers and they do rate us so highly, but we also use their testimonials and a lot of our marketing materials. So you can see it sprinkled in our website throughout our, our materials. So yeah, absolutely. Having the voice of the customer and being able to take those testimonials and reuse them in new and different ways than just the old case study or video testimonial, right? Yeah. What are some of those, uh, what are some of those ad campaigns that you're proud of or some of your favorite ones that you've done over the past few years? Well, I, I do have to say that, um, when we just won our latest G2 review, I got to do a, a social post on it as one of the highest posts that I've done on LinkedIn all probably in the last 12 months. Um, but I just, wait till this episode yeah, comes out. <laughs> yeah. I just took a picture as I was driving by the billboard and, uh, and then put on my social post. Wait, where is it? I, I've definitely it's seen right this. Where the, it's coming, uh, just off of the airport on, uh, on the 101 going North, um, right where the 101 and 280 split off. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. get to the top of the hill, you kind of slow down and boom, we're right there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's been fun and I, it's nice too. I mean, I've, I never thought I'd be a CMO that puts a one-on-one a billboard on the 101 or an ad in the wall street journal, like that felt like so passe, but the number of customers that talk about it, like, Hey, I saw it is, uh, is reinforcing. And it, it aligned with our goal of making sure that we have a strong presence in the Bay area because the majority of our customers are here. So we, you know, we want to make sure that they see us here with them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a signal in the market, right? And it, it's something that your customers, uh, it shows strength. It shows, uh, you know, that, um, you have a little talking point there. And it's something that I think a lot of times people 
like misinterpret, you know, whether it's outdoor, out of home or any of those sort of things of like, what is the tool that you're using for the job? And like, sometimes it's not to, um, you know, to get a bunch of net new customers or sometimes it's whatever it's, you know, Hey, we have our, our salespeople, our customer success people hitting up these people every day. It's good to have a reminder, uh, that they drive by once a day that, you know, Oh shoot, I got to respond to that email. And I, I think it's just, part of the thing with outdoor that people is just like, well, it's not data driven. I'm curious, like, how do you look at, and not just with billboards, but data driven advertising in general? So I think it's twofold. One was coming into the sales engagement market that is growing so quickly. Um, it, it was, and it is a brand play. There are two players. You know, there's, there's probably 12 now in the category, but there's, we are head to head against our, um, our favorite competitor. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we, we need to be top of mind I and mean, we can be the top of the category, but we also need to be top of mind. And so I did want to make some investments in brand. Um, and so, yes, absolutely. You measure it by, by CPMs and, and how many, um, how many people are seeing your ads. We were just actually looking at this today as we plan for next year and what percentage are, are of our ad spend is spending on to drive leads versus driving awareness. And uh, it's about, 15 to 20% on awareness. Wow. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That's super interesting. It's a type of ads too. It's not just out of home. It's all our digital ads, yeah. ads that we're, you know, uh, placing through demand base for our target accounts, um, retargeting Google ads, depending on the CTA, um, and LinkedIn. So that's, that's kind of where we spend. And then which one of those are we spending on that? It's running a CTA, which is you know, take a demo, take a call, like that's a lead generating ad versus maybe promoting our customer, promoting, um, a value, the value of, of sales engagement. Um, so it depends on the, the message in the ad. Do you, and for our listeners who don't know, I, I, it's, um, you know, share what is sales loft and, and, uh, and I'm curious, like how many marketers do you work with uh, as you know, like how involved are you in the actual sales of the product? Because obviously sales off is extremely close to marketing. I'm curious, like, what does that kind of look like? Yeah. I think when I think about sales engagement and sales loft, uh, it is the combination of marketing and sales basically where marketing is always trying to build your brand and drive demand. That is the foundation of marketing. And so, um, the inbound leads, how those get followed up a lot of times, even though someone's filled out a form, you're going to have to have a structured way. We call it a cadence for being able to respond to those leads. And so that's a combination of using all the channels, just like marketers know you need to use multiple channels. It's not just an ad, it's the ad and it's the LinkedIn and it's the event you go to. Similarly on the sales side, it's the use of email, phone calls, um, uh, social touches, direct mail. And so our platform orchestrates those series of touches to an inbound uh, lead that comes in because you still have to chase them or an outbound lead, which means the sales team is proactively reaching out. And what I have learned when you think about marketing automation versus sales engagement, because I think these are two industries that are 
merging, converging, competing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, you know, it's the, we all know it's no longer the days of spray and pray. And so if you can't send 10,000 emails out of your marketing automation system and, and expect that it's going to land meaningfully with the customer. And so those, you know, marketers are excited if they get a three per, or 4% open rate. If you're using sales engagement, our customers are getting the 30% open rates because the emails are personalized. They're sent one-to-one um, and, and they resonate and are have a higher deliverability rate to the prospect. And so in the land of email, which is still the main channel for both marketing and sales, if you can get something that's higher converting um, and is more efficient, then, then we're seeing that. In terms of my personal involvement in the sales cycle, what has been exciting to me is the ability to reconnect with so many of my old sales friends, right? Um, after doing this, you know, being in this industry for almost three decades, um, I've had the good fortune to meet a lot of sales reps. So I tend to get involved through my network. My the, Our team uses social very well. So they'll look on my LinkedIn, they'll see I'm connected to somebody and I'll reach out and then I'll stay involved in the, the first and second calls and like check in. I just got an email today actually that I was responding to where the customer reached out to me because we knew each other. He was asking about some marketing work that we were doing a total economic impact, which is a Forrester study. And then I was like, Hey, are you using a sales engagement tool yet? And he's like, no. And so I introduced our sales rep. They just went live, gave a shout out to our customer success rep that, that got them live and are already starting to see results. Like that's awesome. Um, and so I, I'm probably involved in, I don't know, five deals a week. Um, and if it's through my connections or um, because marketing is involved and they want to have a marketing leader speak to the marketing team. As we're getting into larger and larger enterprises, marketing is becoming much more of a stakeholder in the decision and the use of sales engagement. Well, yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. It's like, I'm curious how many of your peers that you're talking to and you're like, hey, you know, um, if you want to, you know, if you want to walk across, uh, the aisle, uh, I can go with you and kind of explain how this all looks, because it seems like it's something that is obviously living in sales right now, but for some organizations, it kind of doesn't, right? Like that's what we were saying, you know, that kind of blurred line between marketing automation, sales enablement, customer success, like all of this stuff is pretty fluid right now. And, you know, some marketers own, like some marketers own SDRs, some, you know, so it, there's so much changing right now in this and the role of the CMO is changing so much. Um, I'd imagine you have a lot of CMOs that are, that are kind of perking their ears up looking at, you know, how their company is planning enablement in general. Right. If, if pipeline isn't on the CMO's dashboard, it should be. So that's the first step. If you're not looking at all of the campaigns that you're running to see how they're converting into pipeline and ideally closed one, then you know th there's an opportunity to get more involved there. Um, I almost want to say shame on you for not, you know, like we have, we have to, as marketers understand the that how our investments are paying off and we need to be able to look at the success of what we're investing in all the way through closed one and upsell if you can. Um, and so I think in doing that, when you, when you look at it, the plays that you're running aligned with sales, the messages that are resonating, the type of testing that can be done on the messages that the sales teams are sending and gathering that learning back to, um, uh, the, the marketing message is super powerful. And we have a, 
customer that created a, a cadence committee, they called it. And she was in marketing. She was the buyer. She was primary buyer. She was in field marketing. And then she had a couple of her RVPs, the SDR leader and um, someone from their content team. They would meet weekly, look at the dashboard, see what's performing in terms of the cadences, the message. And they wouldn't let another cadence be rolled out without the approval of the cadence committee. So they were really studying like for this persona, this cadence, this message, this is what's working. This is what's not. And they were aligned, which is so, you know, that that's where you get velocity is where you have everybody, um, working together. It's difficult. And I'm sure that many people can empathize the feeling of when marketing and sales aren't aligned and you're working against each other versus with each other. And so any opportunity that you have where you do align with sales, you can step across and, continue to support them. Um, it, this is a perfect opportunity. So you talked a little bit about ABM at the beginning, and I want to kind of go a little deeper on that. You know, you said in the past that personalizing and orchestrating every interaction with customers is the future. Uh, you know, I feel the same way. I feel like, um, you know, the time of, of, of the marketer is now because, boy, who is better at personalization and, and orchestrating interactions than, than us? Um, and then you have, you know, ABM as this, you know, overarching philosophy where it's like those two things together feels like so much opportunity for marketers uh, to impact sales, to drive sales. Um, how do you think those two things like play together and what are, what strategies are you seeing of how personalization uh, impacts ABM? Yeah. So I would break it into three areas. I think the data and science that marketing has can be very much leveraged in sales as it relates to account selection. So when I first think about ABM, I think about account selection and the data and a analytics we have and, and just expertise that we, we have. Uh, the second area is around understanding who's in market, uh, around intent, and then being able to connect that to action. And so when, when we look at, when I'm talking to customers or speaking at conferences, thinking about the account selection process how do you, how do, you know, how do you make sure that you're working with sales to use data to help inform what are the best customers to go after? You can call it ICP, but there's, now we have so much information, not only on industry and target and company, um, but, but what technology they're using that can then inform, are they appropriate or not appropriate for your, your customers to, to target as a customer? Overlay that with now intent data. So you're proactively going out into the market, you're using your ABM platform to advertise to your target accounts, whatever tier of that target you're having. But then you've also got the signal that you're able to plug into if you're using one of the, the ABM platforms that has intent. I happen to have three of them. <laughs> so um, there's different types of intent, but that we're able to take action on that. So if there's a signal in the market around an account, that's a target, then that tells me we need to go hard on outbound after that account. And, and that's all, we've got that all automated now in terms of uh, notifying when there's a hot account, you want to add more contacts, you want to start proactively outbounding to them. Um, I do believe that's the wave of the future. I, I don't think that everyone has kind of figured out exactly how to do that. I Thankfully, a lot of the, the ABM platform companies are our partners and our customers. So I get to work arm in arm with them and see how they're using their platform and our platform in the best possible way and then bringing that learning back for us. Um, but the third part on that was personalization. And I, and I think I talked to that a little bit already in terms of being able to, 
to be to be personalized in in a meaningful way. I will say that um, there's a lesson here for marketers, and that is um, we like long emails. We like mm-hmm. to use big words, and and we do with lots of pictures and, and colors and everything. No, and, I'm you know, you. we're we are I'm we are so writers on this, um, and that's not what people want. Um, we, we study personalization. Our data scientist team studies the emails that are the most successful and the, 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 um, also the phone calls. Cause we, we have a dialer and we can record and transcribe everything. And what we found was that, um, short emails are the most effective. You want to personalize them up to 20% in the first 500 characters. That's like the first two sentences. You also want to use, um, I think it's middle school level yeah. words. Yeah. So big, long words, big, fancy words doesn't resonate. I actually saw, and um, I'll send a link to this today. Uh, somebody got a handle on AWS's newsletter and it was brilliant. It was like, you know, don't use more than five words in the sentence. Don't use more than five words in this sentence. I should read it. And, uh, and you know, it was just like, it was designed to be readable and simple and kind of fun. And it was, you know, it was still probably a little bit long, but, um, yeah. A tool yeah. that you can use for that stuff is Hemingway app. Have you ever heard of this? No. Yeah. So basically if you put it into Hemingway, it takes out all that stuff. So it's like, you're not going to be like, I have a tantalizing new, um, you know, offer for you. That's going to help your fiduciary responsibilities or whatever it is. It'll just like be like, this is too big. This is too big, whatever. Oh, okay. Um, cool. but yeah, I, I mean, it was like, I think in, predictable revenue, you know, like, oh, five, Aaron Ross wrote about like the 20, you know, 2060, 20 of like personalized main message. Yeah. I mean, like that was 15 years ago yeah. or whatever and, it was. Yeah. And that's still too much. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, we, uh, we all have short attention spans and no time. So make, um, make it quick, make it to the point. Speaking of that, I do want to touch on, you know, you spent, um, some time at Adobe. It's, uh, obviously one of, um, the great product companies. Uh, what was what was marketing like inside Adobe? I spent some time, <laughs> indeed. Uh, so my company was acquired into Adobe in two thousand and one, and I was there for ten years. Um, and it that was when when I when I started, it was really still kind of the early days of Adobe, where it was about Acrobat and Creative Suite, and so I lived through a lot of the big acquisitions. Um, uh, so when they acquired Macromedia and consolidated the creative industry, I mean, they built, bought their number one competitor and there was no more competitors. And so really watching us as a company, um, I think the best, you know, consolidate the industry. I think the best move that Chantenu made was a very tough one as a leader. We had five business units. Um, we were going after kind of knowledge workers and we were going after enterprise and different verticals. And we had our creative suites and we had a developer initiative. And he made the decision in uh, 2012 to go to two. Talk about power of focus. And so that's when digital marketing um, and digital media became the two powerhouses. Um, and I, I think, you know, I commend him for the effort. You can see the results now. And I, I was in product marketing then. So I sat in the business unit and was responsible for go-to-market and enablement. Um, and then there was corporate marketing and field marketing. So it was very large, global, distributed. Yeah. And it was, you know, big. My personal philosophy, I, I know that some people um, disagreed with me, 
but I invested, I was on the enterprise side for most of it and invested a lot with the field marketing team because that's where we could see where the rubber hit the road and, um, and, and resonate in regions versus kind of large scale global campaigns. The brand was well enough known that we yeah. could get in the door and it was a joke. And we're like, and here's your copy of Photoshop. Now I'm here to talk to you about our enterprise offerings. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, so we did less on the corporate side and more on the field side. Any back, favorite back campaigns? I would say the my favorite campaign, it, it was a program uh, that we worked on. So uh, I had the pleasure of joining the Macromedia team. So after we acquired Macromedia, I was the only Adobe person on what was then called Flex. Uh, so it was a developer tool. And um, we created a global network of, of user groups. And Adobe had never done that before. They'd never sold to developers. They, they hadn't run global initiatives before. And so our team won that year the marketing award for best launch um, and for Flex 2. Um, and uh, we just, we had 70 people on the launch team, global launch team. And then we were able to activate in region a developer movement. And I learned a lot of hard lessons on that developers don't like to be marketed to. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there, you know, there was some, there was some tough lessons there, but I, f we figured it out and, and then we ended up being extremely successful. And it was a lot of the evangelists that I have to give credit to that, uh, that helped out on that. It wasn't just marketing as evangelism, but I took a lot of lessons away from that particular program. I remember, or I, I forget, um, when this was, but, um, Jason Lemkin always talks about how, when, uh, echo sign, got acquired that he was like, even he didn't realize the scope in which like Adobe was in, like, I forget the number of businesses. It's like market share is like ridiculous. Um, and, uh, just like how much scale the company had in terms of like product, you know, depth. So, and like you said, it's such an interesting place to be of like, everybody knows the name with that. There were so many cool initiatives. Like, I think isn't CMO.com? Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. is Adobe like things like that? I mean, you're like some really, really cool marketing initiatives um, that when you have a company like that, you can do. Is that something that I don't know if you worked on specific things like that, but it seems like it's such an advantageous place to be as a marketer when you are using, I mean, everybody uses this, you know? Yeah. CMO.com, I believe came from the Omniture team um, and it was uh, two people. Wow. believe that. Uh, and they're just really good at syndicating content and then having enough of their own curated. Uh, it was a little bit of a, a coup. They actually, once I became a CMO, I got interviewed on CMO.com. Like, <laughs> oh, that's cool. I, I was pretty happy about that. That was a very early day because that would have been like 2005 or six when CMO.com started. And just understanding that owning Another, I mean, it was Omniture, it was Test and Target. Like these guys understood digital so well. And this was the early days of SEO and really understanding. And so creating a whole content platform that was serving um, the the Google interest, right? And and being able to, to index on that. I, I think that the many of the folks that have come out of HubSpot also figured that out yeah, very totally. much. And yep. so I've been able to see that replicated with what Ryan Boncini's done at, hopefully I didn't butcher his last name, what Ryan's done at uh, G2 and what Dave- We had him on the show. Oh yeah. So what Ryan's done at G2 and what Dave had, has done or did now that he's left on at Drift, um, 
I was shocked though, like the amount of time and investment, because I asked Ryan, like how long it took to create that and time and investment was huge yeah. to be able to drive that level of performance of their website. And um, yeah, I won't share his total secrets because uh, they can go back and listen to your your podcast, but uh, yeah, no, he should, no, I mean, yeah, for, for the listeners who haven't, um, who haven't checked it out, the episode with Ryan was great because he he did some really cool stuff. And then uh, G2 Crowd is just like on fire right now. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much cool stuff there. Um, yeah, turns out the comment section, uh, <laughs> valuable. All right, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing. With Salesforce, Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing, build on the world's numbers number one CRM that is Salesforce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Lightning round questions. Sydney, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what is your favorite place to ski in California? Going to Tahoe to ski squad this weekend. There you go. I'm going to be in the traffic again. It's like I knew that already. I was Actually, in Aspen I, last weekend. That was pretty darn good. Oh, that's pretty good. And it's pouring rain, so it's got to be dumping snow. Uh, Favorite thing to cook or eat? Salad. <laughs> but I make a lot of them and they're wicked. Well, the one that you talked about earlier was sounded delightful. Um, what about your best advice for a first-time CMO? Take the first 30 days to listen. It's hard because they're going to want to throw you into a lot of things. I just advised somebody of this the other day. And, and you really need to take the time to listen, to then categorize what you're hearing and prioritize and then work with your CEO to identify the areas that that you that he, that that person wants you to work on. So take your first 30 days to listen. Hidden talent or passion? I am a professional organizer. Oh, oh yeah. You want to you want me to help you move into your house any day. Like you, you need to get on uh what's her name? Marie Kondo's uh block. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I might need that. To, I I love a good I, I love an empty closet almost, but I, I love organizing. Last question. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I would rather have people ask me what I have it. How can I serve them better? Yeah. Right. So I think people get scared a little bit sometimes of title. And, um, and so I, I want them to be, I, I want to serve them better. And I, I would want them to ask me, you know, what they can do, what I can do to serve them more effectively to help them grow. That's it. That's all we got, Sydney. Hi. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Everybody check out Sales Loft. Also, you have a podcast. I should say that too. Hey, salespeople. Hey, salespeople. Check it out. Doing really well. Over 80 episodes. Is yeah. that right? First so, year. Um, 50,000 uh, downloads. We're happy with that. Yeah, that's awesome. So congrats on that. And uh, we'll be following along. Thank you. Thanks Take for care. coming. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.